This week's episode of Humanize Me is sponsored by the documentary film with whom I am well pleased. And I know what you're thinking. Wait a second. Bart, that's, that's the documentary about you and your dad. This is just a naked self-promotion. And, and it, it, like, it is true that that's the documentary that's about me. And if you go to the website, bartcampola.org, you'll find a trailer of it and all that stuff. And so I guess in some ways it is naked self-promotion. But the truth is, it ain't my, it ain't my movie. I mean, I was going to go out and have these conversations with my dad anyway because um, we were working on this book project. And John said, hey, I think there might be something there. And he came out and he got a little bit of funding and, uh, he, and, he, and he set up the cameras and, and he filmed us having these conversations. And he found a story in it. It was funny as I just found out he's going out to Philadelphia to film a, another interview with my dad. I think there's, there's one piece that he wants to fill in there. But in general, I think it's, it's almost done. And uh, I, yeah, I think it's going to be a good thing. I mean, I, I saw a rough cut of it, a very rough cut of it. And I can hardly stand to see myself, hear myself talk. I can't listen to this podcast practically. And yet I found this movie really compelling. Like there was a story and I kind of got lost in the story. And I thought, man, if you can get me lost in my own story, uh, maybe there you got something going there. So I'm, I'm going to talk like, it's funny. I remember years ago when I lived in Philly and Howard Stern was on the radio there. I mean, I knew he was on the radio everywhere or not, whatever he's on now, serious, whatever. But um, back then he was on broadcast radio. And when his movie private parts was coming out for about a year, it was all he talked about. And he kept talking about how great it was going to be and how amazing it was going to be. And I thought like, wow, this is really, and then I went and saw it. It was actually a pretty good movie. And it would probably still be a good movie if the love affair that it portrays had actually made it to the finish line. But all of that to say that I guess I learned from Howard Stern. There's a sentence I thought I would never say. I learned from Howard Stern that it's okay to talk about the movie about you if you think it's a good movie. So there, that's happening and, you know, what's also happening is, is that we're working this podcast around being a weekly podcast, if that's okay with you. The interview that you're, you're, that's coming up is actually not so much an interview as it is a conversation between me and one of the listeners who sent in an, a really kind of a, a poignant email. And uh, it's the first time I've tried to do like a real listener mail kind of thing. And I'll be really interested uh, to hear from you guys if it's... Uh, if it's useful or if it's compelling, because like, I mean, like I know that some of these podcasts claim that they are purely for entertainment value. I don't think anybody is under any delusions that I'm not trying to influence people, that I'm not trying to portray an approach to living on the other side of faith that's hopeful and that's community building and that's connected. And so, you know, when you listen to these podcasts, you know, make no mistake, I'm trying to put out ideas that'll help people who are trying to make the most of their lives by building loving relationships. And, uh, and so, yeah, you can evaluate them that way. And if the stuff, if the stuff that's coming at you isn't, isn't encouraging you or inspiring you or in some way giving you something that makes your life better then for crying out loud, let me know that. And I'll try to do something different because that's where we're going. All right. And I hope you like it. And I hope you let me know. Let's get on with the show. You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo.
it's just you and me today. And uh, by you and me, I mean me and some listener emails because I've been getting a lot of those. And I know it's partly because I beg for them. But, uh, and some of them are, I mean, they're all great, but like some of them are just people saying, hey, this is great, keep going, or I enjoyed this, or you were an idiot and you said this and you're, you're wrong and let me correct you. And, you know, I'll, I'll read you some of those uh, coming up. But, but a lot of the emails are really poignant. I mean, a lot of them are from people that are in really difficult situations out there. I think they write to me because they hear on this podcast the stuff we're talking about and they say like, hey, there's somebody who could understand where I'm coming from. And what I mean by that is a lot of the people that are writing to me are kind of navigating the transition from faith into kind of post-Christianity or post-supernaturalism of some kind. And, and they're struggling and they got questions. And so I'm going to read one letter to, to top to head it off that I mean and, and I picked this one but like I could read 15 letters that are very very similar to it and 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 I'll tell you this like if you do write I always write back to everyone and I can't do the whole when I first started out in this I started you know just writing calling people like people writing with these really human problems I'm like yeah let me talk about that that stuff and it soon dawned on me that I wasn't going to be able to keep up and so I did two things. Number one is I decided that I'm going to try to work people's questions into future podcasts so that hopefully I'm addressing some of the stuff that people want to talk about um, on the air. And the other thing is, is that, you know, in kind of consultation with some psychologist friends of mine, I started taking clients. Like I started writing back to people and saying, like, look, the thing you're writing about sounds like it needs some real conversation. And so if you want, we can we can set this thing up and start meeting on a weekly basis for one or two times or maybe for a longer time to try to work this stuff through. And so, you know, if you're interested in that, you would go to BartCampolo.org and there's a whole schmear in there about counseling and coaching and the kind of stuff that, that I've been doing with people. You know, at first I felt really uncomfortable about doing that because it felt like after years of being a minister who just cared for people, you know, because I do, um, all of a sudden I'm, I'm going like, oh, I'd love to be your friend if you pay me. But I, you know, in talking with my therapist friends, what they said is like, first of all, in order to give people the time and the attention that they deserve and that they need, if you do that for, for a lot of people, you don't have time for anything else in your life. And so somehow you've got to, you got to find a way, you just want to be able to do the kind of conversations that you need to have. And they said, the other thing is like when people, you know, when people decide, hey, I want to do this on a regular basis and I want to put a little bit of money into the process, they tend to take your advice more seriously. And man, I got to tell you, I've spent a lot of time putting heart and soul into emails or phone calls with people and then wondering, did they, you know, did they just blow it off when it was all over with? And so in any case, if you're interested in all that, all the schmear on it is on my website, um, barcampolo.org. And that's a cool thing. But the point is like, I know that a lot of people that they don't want that. They're not in a position to do that. And so I thought like, okay, well, let's start picking up some of these listener emails and, and at least trying to address some of the general stuff in a way that maybe would be helpful. And so I'm, I'm, I, let me just jump in and we'll see how this goes. Okay. Uh, the subject on this one is in hiding. Dear Bart, 
I've wanted to write you for a while because I really enjoy your podcast and how you talk about real life and how to live this out and not only talk about it in philosophical terms. He says, look, after years of evangelical urban ministry in Baltimore, my wife and I have lived in Detroit since 2013 because after we started a family, we have two boys, five and one, we wanted to be closer to our families. Long before that, though, I had really started questioning my faith. My last few years in Baltimore, I was wrestling with a lot of questions and big doubts, but I loved my ministry work and the strong community and friendships and busyness allowed me to keep pushing those thoughts to the back of my mind. However, when I moved to Detroit and out of that community, I could no longer avoid them. Over the past two and a half years, I have pretty much given up on my Christian faith, but I am still very much in the closet about it. My wife is still a very firm, very theologically conservative believer, so this is not a transition we are making together or one she is fully aware of. I think she senses I have a lot of doubts and struggles, but doesn't want to think that I could actually walk away from Christianity. We are still doing well overall and still love each other very much, but theology or struggles with God are spoken about very little, and when I do bring up my doubts, even little things like admitting I don't think Adam and Eve were actual people. It does not go well and makes her very nervous and defensive. Wow. Just stop there and put yourself in that, in that guy's shoes. So here he is, you know, fully involved in this marriage and fully involved in raising kids and fully involved in Christianity, a minister. I mean, a guy who was really out there doing this stuff with people, working with poor people, helping with kids. And all of a sudden... He realizes like, I'm not, I, I'm not a believer anymore and I can't tell anybody. He goes on, raising children, of course, brings another dimension to the struggle. We still attend church and I, and I actually teach at a Christian school. Our church is pretty conservative and drives me nuts at times, but my wife and boys have made friends and enjoy the relationships. In our small group, Wow. I mean, he's still in a small group. Like that, that's, that's kind of where, where if you're not a church person, that's where on a weekly basis, a, a group of smaller people will get together one-on-one to talk about their lives and how to, how to live out Christianity in their lives. It's a pretty intense kind of relationship. In our small group, I bring up lots of questions and admit that I'm struggling with doubts, but I keep it pretty general. After all, my life and my career are completely enmeshed with Christianity. And even if they weren't, I have no idea how to live outside this evangelical Christian culture because I've been so deep in it my entire life. I share this with you because I just needed to put it out there. I'm not looking for you to solve my problems, but I needed to write it down and vent to someone I'm I'm sure will understand. I love my wife and boys so much and want to be the best husband and father I can be. And I'm willing to keep faking this Christian thing for the sake of my family. But man, it is just so hard. Thanks for listening. Joe. You know, you read a a letter like that, it's just a heavy thing. Because it's not hard for me to imagine what it's like for Joe out there. I mean, I, I know the kind of church that his wife and he are a part of. I know the kind of life they're, they're living. And, uh, and there, there's so many beautiful things. I mean, I'm sure his wife is just a wonderful person and clearly he loves her a lot and loves his boys and wants to keep his family together. And so he faces this kind of existential question, like, 
do I risk being authentic or do I keep my mouth shut and live in peace? And well, I mean, what's interesting is he doesn't actually say his age, but given the age of his kids, I'm thinking probably he's mid thirties. I mean, he's a young guy. And so when he says, Hey, I'm willing to fake the Christian thing for the sake of my family. The obvious question is really, you're, you're going to fake it for the next 35 years. I mean, that's, that's a hard sentence. And yet the alternative isn't really that much easier when you think about it. Because if he tells his wife, like, Hey, it's not just doubts. I'm not, you know, I'm not just struggling here. I'm done. There's a real sense in which she can legitimately say, Hey, that's not fair. I, this is a bait and switch move. I married a Christian. You were a Christian and, and you promised that we would till death. Do we part? Would we stay together as Christians? And that's the weird thing. I mean, like, I'm, it's funny. I'm, I'm actually headed out east in a few days to perform a wedding. And I've performed a lot of weddings. And, and I like performing weddings. But one of the things that I often say when I'm talking to young couples, like in the homily part of the, uh, of the um, ceremony, I know this is this romantic ideal where you're looking at each other and saying, I want to live with you for the rest of my life. But I said, like, take a good look because you're never going to see that person again. The person standing in front of you today looking beautiful and young and, and, and desperately in love with you. As soon as the ceremony is over, they're going to start changing and they're going to keep changing for the rest of the, their life. And so are you. I mean, that's the only constant in any of our lives is change. And so in a real sense, like marriage, you know, if, if you say like, I want to spend the rest of my life with this person, good luck. That's not going to happen. What you're really doing is you're committing not to a person. You're committing to a location, a physical location. You're basically looking at a body and saying, whoever shows up in that body, I'm going to find a way to connect with you. I'm going to find a way to reconnect with whoever shows up there. I mean, I, I know I've been married for 30 years. You know, the woman I married is very different than the woman I live with now. I mean, it's funny. I used to joke about how like, man, after a certain number of years of marriage, I just want to sleep with another woman. And then my wife went to counseling after she got rheumatoid arthritis and like sort of found her voice and developed a different kind of approach to life and its strength of character. And I realized like, be careful what you ask for, because I, like I do sleep with a different woman. Uh, she's just got the same name and same hair. I mean, I've slept with many different women. They're just all named Marty Campolo. And, and that's the nature of things like people keep changing. But it's one thing to change along a trajectory. It's one thing to sort of keep becoming different versions of the same basic model. And it's another thing to have your fundamental worldview exchanged for another one. And, and so, I mean, when, if his wife feels like, if, if, he, if he comes out to her and she sort of says like, hey, that's not fair, it, it's not fair. And, and a lot of times when a deconverted Christian or a deconverted anything says to their family, I, I, I don't believe anymore, their family goes, well, try harder. You know, like you, you shouldn't do that. How can you do that? Why would you do that? And they always talk to us as though it's a choice. And maybe one of the most profound things that people on both sides of that divide need to understand is, is that when somebody loses their faith, it isn't a choice. It's something, it's not something they're making, they're, they're not making it happen. It's happening to them. 
I know that because I remember how feeling so out of control. Like I have this whole life laid out. I've got all this nexus of relationships. And as the doubts and the questions start to come in, I'm going like, wait a second. This is like a bad dream. This can't be happening because if this is real, everything's going to change on me. And, you know, and like this guy, I mean, it's, it's, it's his job. It's his identity. It's all his friendships. It's both of the, it's both his family and his wife's family. I mean, the last thing this guy would want to have happen would be to kind of be forcibly lifted up and dragged out of his tribe. But that's what happens when you lose your faith or when you, when you sort of face up to the things that you've been struggling with and, and, and you finally can't keep it together. And for a married couple, it's, it's not just, it doesn't just happen to the one person. It happens to both of them. You know, for his wife, for him to lose his faith is very much like for a married couple in some ways. In some ways, it's probably like, like having a child die. I mean, we've all, we've all seen couples who have had a child die and the marriage couldn't survive because every time they looked at each other, they, they had to grieve all over again this thing that they love so desperately that's now absent. And when two people share the same kind of core belief system, the core values, and that goes away, there's a kind of a, a compact or a oneness that when you lose it, it's, it's a terrible thing. When I do marriage counseling, a lot of times I'll say to people like, look, there's three people in the room here. There's you and there's your spouse, and then there's your relationship, and your relationship is like a whole third person, and you could be wonderful, and your spouse could be wonderful, but the relationship could be broken or sick or in trouble, and when I'm talking to dating people, I'm sort of like, look, I don't care how wonderful he is or how wonderful she is. I'm wondering, how's the relationship? Because that's the thing you're going to have to live with. When one person changes that drastically, it's like the relationship gets killed, and you have to figure out a whole new relationship in its place. And in this case, it would be a relationship between a believer and a non-believer. And that can be, I mean, you can have great friendships, you can have all kinds of things, but intimacy, intellectual connection, a lot of times, you know, it requires a level of shared assumptions or kind of a baseline understanding. And so, you know, in some ways it's like the death of, or, or, or for me, like I can relate to it. It's kind of like a brain injury where, you know, I had a friend who had a brain tumor it was one of those things where he prayed and all of the people in our church, this was back when I was a Christian, we all prayed that he would be healed from the brain tumor. And in the end, the tumor receded and he was quote unquote delivered from dying of a brain tumor. But when he was, when he recovered physically, he was a different dude. Like his brain had changed and he, he, he related differently. He spoke differently. He had to relearn a bunch of stuff and he just had a different personality. And he had been married only two years when he got the brain tumor and his wife ultimately left him. And, and in a weird way, he understood. He said, I, I know I'm not the guy she married. And, and it kind of isn't fair to ask her to kind of be saddled with me for the rest of her life. I'm, I'm not the same person. And I think that that's a lot of times what happens here. I mean, this guy, he's married, he's got kids. But like if he was, a, if he was married one or two years and there's no kids there, I'm thinking, yeah, you, you, you may want to get out and don't have kids, you know. That's just going to, that's just going to complicate things like get out now, not because you don't love the other person, but because for a woman of deep Christian faith or for a man of deep Christian faith, marrying somebody else and being with somebody who shares that faith is central. It's a weird thing. You know, it's funny in, in this letter, he just, he has this one sentence in here where he says, 
Um, also raising children brings another dimension to the struggle. <laughs> like, has anyone ever said more in less words? I mean, I was talking with this other young man who, who's lost his faith and is excited about being a humanist. He's excited about pursuing goodness in a secular way. He's got, he's all excited about this, but he doesn't know what to do about this marriage. And, 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 and they don't have kids yet. The thing he's realizing is, is that I can't raise my kids as Christians, like to me at this stage in my life, to teach a child about original sin or hell and heaven, these, these ideas don't just seem absurd to me. They seem frighteningly cruel to teach a child like, yes, um, all of your friends who don't accept Jesus, you know, will be punished forever, you know, after they die. They will be forever separated from God and every good thing. And, and they will live in eternity in misery. You know, it's just like, like if you told a kid a fairy tale, like if you said like there's a monster in your closet and he will devour your soul and torture you forever. We go like, you're, that's emotional abuse. And yet if you do it in the name of Jesus, it's considered okay. But to him, it's not okay. Robert Ingersoll once said, he said, like, you know, teaching the kid the Old Testament is bad enough. Like in the Old Testament, God is mean and he kills lots of people and he smashes, he tells people to kill other people. And there's a lot of violence and brutality and, and sort of God acting in a kind of a really mercurial way. I love you. I hate you. I'm going to kill you. But he said, at least when God gets done killing somebody in the Old Testament, he leaves them alone. They're dead. That's the end of it. He said, it's in the New Testament that your troubles just begin with death. In the New Testament, God takes his revenge forever. And so my friend was saying, like, I, I can't imagine allow, like, not only would I not want to teach my children that, but allowing my wife to teach them that and have them come to me and go like, Daddy, is that true? He said, we would be locked in a battle with these kids kind of as the, as, as the, the, the football field on, on which we, we, we play it out. You know, raising kids with values is one thing, but raising them in a worldview is a different thing. You know, how do you, what do you teach them with respect to why we should share or why we should be good? I mean, even Christians and non-Christians often share the same values, but a lot of times they're founded on different foundations, founded on different foundations. I know, you know, and that, that's before you get into the whole issue of what it's like when you, when you lose your faith in the context of a community of faith, what it's like to be treated like a backslider. I mean, there is such a thing as a backslider. There's somebody who still believes in Jesus, but they're not living up to it. They're, they're running around with other women and they're, you know, drinking and using drugs and stealing and beating people up. And you go like, wow, that guy is a lapsed Christian. He still believes in God. He just isn't being obedient to him. But this is a whole other thing. And, and, and yet you get treated the same way. And so what happens is, is that, you know, the Christians that are in your life very reasonably say, hey, we need to pray for this guy. And they'll always let you know, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you'll come back. I'm praying that you'll, you'll see the light and, and they pray for you and, and they try really hard to kind of woo you back. They're always pointing out things. Have you seen this? Have you read this article? Here's a passage of scripture. Listen to this song. I mean, I know because I've gotten it for years. It's funny, you know, I, my, my, I, w I was back east for a funeral, but they were dedicating a wonderful art center um, for my aunt, who was an artist at, a, at an old folks home where she had taught art. And then that's where she lived until she died. And um, it's this wonderful Baptist 
home and and I went there and my dad gave the sermon and my other aunt was there and everyone was praying and 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 it was beautiful and and my aunt Rose who is just the most wonderfully positive and good person you know, she slipped me a cassette tape of a sermon she wanted me to hear. And she told me that she was praying for me. And I listened to the sermon and it was this kind of screed against the new atheists and talking about how they mock Christianity. And, you know, the guy was right on. I mean, he was talking about how there's a certain kind of atheist that just thinks Christians are stupid and wants to destroy Christianity. And, you know, I had to call my aunt and say, oh, Aunt, Aunt Rose, I'm, I'm not that kind of secular person. I'm a humanist. Here's what I'm about. And, you know, we had this wonderful conversation in which I was sort of laying out for her. I, it's not that I won't believe in God. It's that I can't believe in God. But I'm still committed to all the stuff I learned in church. And this is how I'm trying to live it out in terms of loving relationships and social justice and cultivating a sense of gratitude for life. And she was like, that's wonderful, Bart. And she said, you should keep doing that. And I'm going to keep praying that you have a Damascus Road experience. And of course, what she meant by that was, you know, she, she was referring to Paul walking down the, in the Bible. There's a story of Paul walking down the Damascus road and, he, and he's been persecuting the Christians as Saul. And all of a sudden, like he, there's a flash of bright light and a voice comes down from the heaven and says, you know, Saul, why do you persecute me? And God sort of overwhelms him in such a way that it is incontrovertible and he becomes Paul of Tarsus. He becomes this wonderful Christian leader. And I appreciate it so much. She's saying, I'm not going to tell you, you need to read the Bible or you need to do this or you need to do that. Faith is the gift of God. I'm going to pray that God gives it to you. Sometimes I say to my Christian friends, like, look, if you're mad at anybody about my departure from Christianity, don't blame me. Blame God. God's the one who provides faith. And evidently he didn't provide enough. But my Aunt Rose, I really appreciate because she's she gets that. And she's she's praying for God to do that. But I got to tell you, it gets weird when every, when when the people in your family and the, and your friends are treating you like a guy with a disease that needs to be cured and i think to, to have that in a marriage to have that in a marriage would be really hard you know to to want to be intimate with somebody to want to feel like this person gets me this person knows me this person feels me like we are on the same page here and you realize like in a very fundamental way, we are not on the same page here. I mean, he can't even, he says, he, you know, I, I, even when I bring up that I don't think Adam and Eve were actual people, it doesn't go well and it makes her nervous and defensive. And of course she's going to be nervous and defensive because she's worried that her whole world is going to be torn apart. And in a real sense, whether he stays or goes, whether they can hold it together or not, whether, as soon as he's open about it, her world really does change. Of course, if he's not open about it, it changes without her knowing it because living with somebody who's holding a secret like that, who's pretending that way, it's a very, very weird thing. And so you say like, so what should he do? And I, I, I don't know. If I was talking with him, there would be, you know, some of the things that I would weigh out would be, you know, to what degree do you think you're, if you, if you're authentic, like do you think your wife will be able to sort of stay with you in a mixed marriage? What, what are the economics? I mean, when I, when I gave up Christianity, I lost my source of income and I have not really recovered yet. Um, I have not figured it out. And, and I was kind of a high profile guy when I did it. And so it's, it's, 
I, I don't just lightly tell somebody, oh yeah, come out of the closet, lose your job, change your relationships with your family. I mean, sometimes you may be precipitating a crisis at a moment when you can't afford one, literally or figuratively. So I, you know, there's no, there's no formula for this stuff. And of course, the, the sad thing is, is that it happens most often to the most serious Christians. Malcolm Gladwell wrote this book. Um, oh gosh, what was it called? Outliers. And in Outliers, he was kind of trying to describe why some people are especially successful at things. And he said, to master anything, you have to put in, it's the, he calls it the principle of 10,000 hours. He didn't invent it. He just popularized it. This principle of 10,000 hours that says to be a concert pianist, to be a great surgeon, to be a great writer, to be a great counselor, to be great at anything, you kind of have to put in the hours. 10,000 hours is kind of the magic number. And, I mean, you have to have talent too, and you have to have the right training, but, but you got to put in the time. And of course, the weird thing about Christianity or any kind of faith thing is the people that put in the most time are the people that are the most committed. A lot of times people in profe- the ministers, the, the, the choir directors, the, the Bible study leaders, they're the ones that think the hardest about Christianity. And they're the ones that reach 10,000 hours the first. And many, many Christians, I think they never, they die before they reach their 10,000 hours. So they never really master the faith because in many cases to master Christianity is to see through it. To master it is to abandon it. To master it is to realize that it doesn't all fit together, that it doesn't all integrate, it doesn't work. I'm not saying for everybody it works like that, but I'm saying like that's certainly how it worked for me. I thought and I thought and I tried and I tried and I studied and I studied. It's funny when people to me are sending me Bible verses or sending me apologetic arguments. My goodness, I made all those apologetic arguments. Nobody fought harder to stay a Christian than me. I changed my faith 50,000 times trying to stay in the game. When I was done, there was nothing left. And, and so a lot of times the people that come to the end of their faith earliest, you know, in, in their 30s or fo- early 40s, they are people that are so invested in Christianity, all their relationships, sometimes their jobs, their identities, that it's, 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 it's really tragic. Um, so if you're out there and you can relate to this story, I want you to know that it isn't just this one guy writing to me. There's lots and lots of them. And, and there are different ways to deal with it. Like there are questions that you need to ask before you decide whether or not you're going to come out. And, and you know what, frankly, there, are, there are, there's a whole other set of matrices in terms of how you come out. Like I, I would never suggest to somebody that they just sit down and go like, hey, let me tell you, I, I have, you you're not aware of any of this. Like, let me lay it all out on the table for you. Because a lot of times, even though the other person on the other side has suspected or seen, is like they're, they're already aware on some level, it is still a shock to the system. And so there are ways of sort of slowly talking about it. There are ways of, of at first introducing your problems as questions and saying, here's something I'm thinking about. Here's something I'm wondering. Here's something I'm not sure of. And you say, but, but you already are sure. And I go like, yeah, but gently, you, 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 you sort of let them catch up. You, you let them catch up with the question before you tell them kind of what, what you're thinking your answer might be. Um, there's times when you want to actually line up some other friends and you want to tell them what's what's going on in your life too so that you want to make sure that when you lay it on your spouse and they go to talk to other people it's not a huge shock to everybody else in their life that in a sense you sort of want to want to create a cushion around them where 
there are people that know this is happening. So when they finally have to talk it through with their friends and their family members, they're able to get comfort rather than what, what are you talking about? We didn't see this coming at all. And so, you know, there's a process. I think that somebody that loves their wife or their husband, that somebody that loves their kids does. And, and that process makes it easier, but it doesn't make it easy. And, you know, some of you people that listen to this show, you know, I mean, some of you probably turned me off by now on this episode. You're like, this has nothing to do with me. I'm a cradle atheist. I never believed in any of this stuff. I mean, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about humanist community building. I'm excited about the social justice stuff, but come on now. Like, I don't want to talk about, whoa, I don't believe in God. Isn't it? I never believed in God, but I got to tell you something. If you start these humanist communities, they are going to have significant numbers of post-Christians. They're going to have significant numbers of post-Muslims. They're going to have significant numbers of people who the price of being authentic has been a change, if not a loss, of their relationships with the people most precious to them. And if you're not aware of that, if you downplay that, you can't love them very effectively. And so if we're going to really be a community of people that go like, listen, loving relationships are what it's all about, then we're going to have to start to understand where people are coming from. And a lot of people are coming from this place, from this place where changing their minds or more accurately, having their minds change, change their lives and not necessarily for the better. I mean, maybe for the truer, maybe for the more authentic, but not necessarily for the better, not easier for a lot of people, not more peaceful. And so this guy writes to me and I mean, he says it really well at the end of his letter. He says, I'm sharing this with you, not because I'm looking for you to solve my problems, but because I needed to write it down and vent to someone I'm sure will understand. And I do understand. This guy loves his wife. He loves his kids. He wants to be the best husband and father he can be. And he does not know how to get there. And so I understand. And frankly, I want everybody to understand, everybody in our community to understand. Because maybe if the more of us are thinking about this stuff, we'll begin to generate some practical wisdom. We'll be able to generate some best practices, some things where we say to somebody, ooh, always do this, never do that. Or if this, then that. I mean, I'm going to have my friend Phil Zuckerman, who's a sociologist over at Pitzer College, who wrote the book, Living the Secular Life. I'm going to have him in here in a couple of weeks. And one of the things that I'm going to be asking him about is this stuff, because he studied people in secular people in mixed marriages and kind of how that all works. And I'm hoping because the truth of the matter is, is I mean, this guy wrote to the right person because like, if he's looking for me to solve his problems, I can't, but I get it. And I want all of us to get it. And I want us to be more sensitive to what price people pay to be authentic. I mean, there are all these secular people like, oh, I'm out there doing street epistemology or I'm out there arguing or I'm, show, I'm sending debates or I'm undermining the faith of my, f- my friends in all these different ways. And I'm sort of like, man, do you have any idea what you're messing with? You don't just mess with people like that unless you're in a position where you're, where you're cognizant of what it costs somebody to step out of their tribe, what it costs somebody to step out of their mindset or their worldview. Say, oh, all that matters is truth. You know what? All that matters is not truth. You know, I was studying Eric Hoffer, and one of the things that Eric Hoffer said is he said, the problem with evil mass movements is that they always elevate faith over reason. And what I would say is the problem with stupid secular movements is that they always elevate reason over love. This guy says he's going to lie to his wife, and that may not be the worst thing he can do. 
I'm not sure it's the right way to go. And, and that's something that he and I will be talking about. I'm, I'm so glad Joe wrote me and we're in conversation. And, and there, are a lot of, there are a lot of variables here, but I will tell you this, that what's most important is what he thinks is most important. Loving his wife, loving his boys, being the best husband and father he can be. Because in the end, this life is short and this is all we get. And the way to make the most of it isn't by being the smartest person, isn't by being the most learned person. Intelligence and, and knowledge and understanding, all those things are means to an end. And the end is happiness. And happiness and love go right together. So yeah, so like, I, you know, forgive me for getting a little bit emotional here at the end, but I got to tell you something, when I read these letters and I get, and when I read the other ones that are coming in from people, they are always excited about kind of having the scales fall off their eyes. They're excited about sort of facing responsibility for their life and taking responsibility for humanity and not like thinking that some magic thing out there is going to come and save us all they're excited about that but they are also burdened with the task of managing real relationships in real time for the sake of real love which is kind of what humanism is all about and so when we say humanize me i'm not talking about like make me smarter although make me smarter may be part of it when we talk about humanizing we're not talking about make me richer or make me stronger make me more the kind of person who's capable of loving other people and fighting for justice and, and, and wondering and being excited about just the joy of being conscious and alive as a finite being in this infinite universe. Yeah, if that doesn't turn you on, then you're listening to the wrong podcast, baby. But if you're listening to the right podcast, we'll see you next time. Thanks for being part of the deal. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit barcampolo.org.